That's what we've all been waiting for. That's what I'm talking about. They just announced Sound Euphonium Season 3, baby. I am so hype. Oh, yeah, and the Royals are like the best team in baseball now, apparently. Good morning, afternoon, evening to all of you wonderful ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else listening. This is the Royal Deluxe Podcast, a podcast bringing you breaking news and analysis of the Kansas City Royals, the greatest team in the history of baseball, presented by the Fans First Sports Network. Thanks for allowing me to be a part of this growing, awesome network, and thank you listeners for sticking with me. A week ago or so, I had just this absolute meltdown of an episode. I just couldn't even put in any effort. I just emotionally vented about how awful things were. And it feels like things have only been good ever since then. It's continuing. The Royals have not lost a game in a week. They have won six games in a row. Can you believe it? Like we we have been waiting for something good to happen. And look, it's it's honestly not too vi- unlikely for this to just all fall fall apart immediately after. Like we're going to go on a six game losing streak starting right now. But even so, man, this week is just kind of freaking ruled. So, this is it's this is a day where I'm really grateful for uh you know, everyone who's stuck around with this podcast, everyone who's stuck around with this team, you know, all all that good stuff. Vibes are really good right now. They The vibes are immaculate. <laughs> By the way, I'm Lux. Once again, great to, great to see y'all. Great to hear from y'all. At Royal Deluxe Pod on Twitter or at the MFNKC on Twitter. That's a personal Twitter that I really need to be using like more often than I should. I have no idea how to manage social media. How do you people do it? I don't, it's, don't, don't even get me started on the third Twitter, okay? Like, it, it only gets worse the more you look into this. But we should stop talking about that because we've got many things to talk about on this episode. Because not only have the Royals done some really cool stuff on the field, they've done some interesting stuff off the field. Because the trade deadline has occurred. It happened on Monday. We already talked about one of the trades that happened. But I'm actually going to kind of go over it again and recap basically every move that the Royals have done. Including the Eroldis Chapman trade. Which actually has some very interesting consequences that you know affect this six game winning streak. So we'll talk about all that. And I'm going to grade the trade deadline Overall, I'm going to look at what the Royals did, what the Royals didn't do, what the Royals almost did, and then we're going to talk about that three-game series against the New York Mets where the Royals just beat the absolute piss out of the Mets. Holy crap, did they just have a banger series against the New York Mets. And then we're going to recap the, not recap, look ahead and preview the three-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Royals are traveling to the great National League East, and they're going to play a couple games against the Phils. 
So um, first off, roster moves. I'm going to be honest. I have been completely lost in you know the 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 whirlwind, the whirlpool of transactions that the Royals have made over the last week or so. So I I might have missed some transactions, and I apologize for that. I apologize if it's not very accurate. Um, there are you know some that we'll kind of get into a little bit later when we talk about trades, but one of them is that Matt Beatty was recalled. Matt Beatty is a guy that we. Signed as like a non-roster invite over the winter. He was brought into spring training and hit really well in spring training. That was traded to the Giants and played a few games over there. Didn't go so well, so they kind of released him. And then the Royals signed him again. And he played one game for us, then got injured with a concussion or something. Has come back and I think has once again played one game and got injured. I don't remember what happened, but I, he was pulled from the game yesterday. <laughs> um, so, it, like, midway through the game. So, um, either the Royals just want to use this guy sparingly, which is understandable. He's just kind of a quadruple-A power bat. Think of like a think he he might be like the um, Ryan McBroom of this season if if that makes sense, um, or you know this guy just has the absolute worst luck imaginable where he's injured again. I have no idea. And also, right-handed pitcher Angel Zerpa was recalled. Zerp, yeah, the uh, their Zerp their Zerp is back. Angel Zerpa is a in what he was an international free agent. Guy from several years ago, 23-year-old pitcher um, who posted a 1.13 ERA in 16 innings over the last two seasons. I wouldn't count on that lasting, but um, he is someone that, you know, his stuff isn't all that great, but he just, he, he commands himself pretty well on the mound. Like, he, he's just, he's just competitor on the mound. So it's kind of like he overperforms in a, in a good way, I think. He's someone that I've been really interested in going forward again i'm not gonna you know say like oh wow career 1.1 era that's <laughs> you know we've got the best pitcher of all time right here but he could be a really interesting guy he's um, definitely someone who's going to compete for a roster spot throughout the rest of the season if, assuming it's not completely set in stone and i'll talk about this in a bit but it is cool to see him back uh, because I do think he kind of makes the team better. I think he will inevitably have some kind of spot on the roster, whether it be in the rotation or in the bullpen. Actually, there are a couple that I did just find on Royals Twitter. So Cole Reagans was recalled from AAA Omaha. We will talk about this guy in a second, but TLDR, Cole Reagans, guy we got from Aroldis Chapman. And then left-handed pitcher Tucker Davidson has reported to the Major League Club. Who the hell is Tucker Davidson? We'll talk about that. In exchange, Jackson Coar was optioned and James MacArthur was also optioned. I do not have any strong feelings about these guys. And I think that really is the last of the um, of the transactions, like the immediate transactions that they made over the week. So let's get into this trade deadline. Let's talk about the exchanges that the Royals made. So a month ago or so, it feels like it feels like if this was a really long time ago at this point. Eroldis Chapman was traded to the Texas Rangers. In return, the Royals got a left-handed pitcher by the name of Cole Reagans and an outfield prospect by the name of Roni Cabrera. So Reagans has been an up-and-down young starter who was also pitching out of the bullpen this season for the Rangers. 5.32 ERAs with the Rangers in 64.1 innings. And really, like, not too much that stands out about him statistically, but the Royals kind of like what they, what they saw with this guy. Um, 
seems to have a a good changeup with a really high spin fastball. So that's pretty cool. But I, I I'm not gonna lie, I was like kind of critical of this trade when it happened because it seemed like the Royals were prioritizing major league readiness over actual prospect value. As a matter of fact, Cole Reagans wasn't a prospect by the time he was traded. So I just did not like it. I'm like, oh man, the Royals got another Jorge Lopez kind of guy, just someone who's not really figuring it out at the major league. Like he might've been a good prospect, but he's not really figuring it out at the major league level. And I don't know if this, you know, this development staff, this coaching staff is the one that's going to get him all turned around. So I don't really like the process there. I was more excited about Rony Cabrera because he was a 17-year-old who posted a really good walk rate in um, whatever level he's playing. He was 17 when he was traded, I believe. Hang on, which notes am I reading from? I have three different notepad files open. I have There's a lot of stuff going on. Anyway, yeah, posted a 10% walk rate as a teen or better than that without striking out a whole lot. He j- literally just turned 18 on July 31st. So I actually liked that. I, I liked that the Royals got a really low-level prospect who's walking a lot. Like, go, that's what, this is like kind of what I was saying uh, several weeks or months ago when I was talking about who I think the Royals should trade for. Like, go and get low-level guys with a good approach at the plate. Those are guys you can really develop. If they have an approach at the plate, that's something that's really hard to teach. Teach them all the other stuff. That's a natural talent that doesn't come very often. So I liked that return, but I was not very excited about Cole Reagans. However, trades aren't really truly won until, you know, several years later when you actually see if they turned into something or not. And this is a rare case where we get to talk about a kind of deadline deal, although technically this wasn't a deadline deal, obviously, but it does have some kind of hindsight already. We do have a little bit of hindsight as to how good Cole Reagans is or can be. And the answer is pretty good, actually. Like, the Royals really are developing Cole Reagans. We'll talk a little bit more about him because he actually played, he actually pitched a day or two ago, so we'll talk about that when we get there. But so far, this has actually been pretty interesting. This is this has been a lot better than I expected, and I mean, for a, a guy that we just signed in the offseason as a one-year deal, basically just a rehab project, a um a rebuild project, like Roldis Chapman sucked when he came into KC. He was washed. His career was on the downswing, and the Royals, they just noticed something was wrong, fixed it, got him back in shape again, and then sent him on his way. And so if they're going to get a starting pitcher out of that, that's great. Like this is this is literally how you rebuild. You just kind of take these small little projects, turn them into something, trade them, get prospect value or not prospect value, but some kind of value back. So this this really is just kind of like getting a guy out of thin air here because Chapman cost us nothing. And yeah, I I really wasn't even like I was not at all enthusiastic when we signed a role as Chapman. I'm like, oh my god, this guy! I don't want to deal with this guy. <laughs> Screw this, man! But I cannot complain. Royals have kind of handled this pretty much perfectly. So again, well, it it will still it's still we still have to see how good Cole Reagans will actually be, like long term or even mid term. Well, you know, it won't be known for a couple of years as to whether or not he's actually a good pitcher. But so far, early returns are looking good. And Roni Cabrera, still pretty interesting as a prospect. So um, overall, I'm going to grade 
the trade deadline, and I'll grade each individual trade. I'm going to give this one a B plus. A B plus, I can't give it an A quite yet because, again, I, I didn't really... In fact, B plus itself might be generous. Maybe just a B. Because, I again, I don't like that they emphasized Major League readiness over prospect value, but the fact that they might have actually identified something with Cole Reagans and, you know, honed in on it and actually improved this player, that is a better thing. That in and of itself is a good thing, so I can't complain about that if that's something that they have done. So, yeah, I will. I would say, you know, you know what, actually B-plus is good because, again, it was a roldest it was a role as Chapman. It was a guy that I had zero expectations of. If anything, I had negative expectations of this guy. I did not like the player. I did not like the person. I was very pessimistic about the signing. I didn't. I wanted nothing to do with it. I didn't want any drama or anything like that. I'm like, nope, I'm out of here. But instead, the Royals imp- improved this guy significantly, and you know he was going to be a free agent, so they had to trade him. So any, basically, anything they could have possibly gotten would be a plus. And if it's an actually good Major League piece, and yeah, banger trade. So, good first move here. However, second move, we talked about this last episode. Nicky Lopez was traded to the Atlanta Braves for pitcher Taylor Hearn. Taylor Hearn is a 28-year-old left-handed pitcher who really came from the Rangers organization, spent a few years over there, and then was placed on waivers just a couple of weeks ago, and then was picked up by Atlanta, pitched one out, and gave up four runs, and then was traded to KC. And, you know, I said this on Sunday, and I'm just going to, or rather Monday, and I'm, you know, just going to say it again. I absolutely freaking hated this trade. I hate this trade. And no, I have not come around it. I have not come around it. I have not accepted it one bit. I know that Nicky Lopez wasn't a great player. He probably wasn't going to get, you know, any kind of, you know, major worthwhile return. But just the fact that they basically, they, they literally traded a player who, who is worse than Nicky Lopez and has no more service control or, uh, what service control service time available after this season than he does he's no younger than him it just makes me think like what what was the point like what does this do for the team this guy was probably going to be placed on waivers by Atlanta in a week or two if he was going to p- continue pitching like crap like what's the point JJ Piccolo kind of defended this move or justified it by saying that there was literally no other option for Nicky Lopez. This was the one and only way that they could trade Nicky Lopez. It was Taylor Hearn. And I'm you know what? I don't buy it. I really do not buy it. If if Nicky Lopez had absolutely no market whatsoever, why did the best team in baseball trade for him? Like really? They're the only team that came calling? Look, if it was the Mariners or something, if it was just some kind of barely above 500 fringe contender that's just looking for some kind of low-cost option that may just kind of improve them a little bit but, you know, wouldn't cost any, you know, real prospect value. 
you know, just so they can say, okay, we're, you know, trying to compete, but we can't really go all in or anything. We're not going to make, you know, the big slam dunk trade that's going to set us over the edge. Like, if it was them, if it was a team like them, a team like the Angels or something, then I would understand it. Okay, okay, then I'd be like, okay, sure. If if that's the only team we could really trade for, and if that's the only guy they could give us, then I guess that makes sense. But it's the best team in baseball who traded for this guy. And I'm not, again, I'm not asking for any kind of great prospect return. I just really can't wrap my head around the fact that we couldn't even get, like, a non-prospect in their minor league system. Like, isn't there, a, like, a 27-year-old in double-A in the, in the Brave system, we couldn't get that guy at the very least. You know, someone who's like, you know, over overaged for his level, but has like maybe one tool. You know, there's like a 70-grade runner, but he's also hitting 200 with no pop. Just, you know, organizational filler. How could, how could we not even get that for Nicky Lopez? I, like, I understand that it doesn't technically do anything for us positively, but it at least makes the optics look a little bit better. At least it can just kind of make us say, oh, okay, you know, whatever. Why not? I suppose that's as good as it gets for Nicky Lopez. You know, we could pretend that there's something to dream on. We could pretend that there's some sort of a thing we can do there. Instead, Nicky Lopez, a, a one-war player, which, again, is not great or anything. It's basically just replacement level, was, re- was traded for a negative war player, a player with negative value who is no older than him, no no younger than him, and no more controllable than him. I don't get it. They might as well have just DFA'd Nicky Lopez, which apparently was on the table. I've also heard this thing where apparently Josh Vernier was saying that Nicky Lopez like wasn't a good clubhouse guy, which news to me, frankly. I mean, look, I'm not in the clubhouse. I don't know what these guys are actually doing, what they're actually thinking, what they're saying about each other. I'm just saying, based on the vibes, Kind of seemed like Nikki was one of the boys, but I don't know. I'm not. I am not one of the boys. I was not invited to the clubhouse. So what do I know? It just. It's just very, very weird to me. This entire trade is bizarre to me. I would give them an F on this. I don't like this trade at all. I don't appreciate it. I and just again, if it was, if there was just like some kind of organizational filler minor league player involved in this deal then it would just be like a b it would just be like okay you know why not you know they traded nicky lopez they, they they tried to do something might as well i makes no sense to me um but funny enough they did what i kind of felt was like an inverse of this where they actually traded someone else a player that we were probably going to dfa or release sometime soon and got back maybe something so the Royals traded Jose Quas to the Chicago Cubs for an outfielder by the name of Nelson Velasquez, a 24-year-old outfielder who has technically played all three positions, but everyone's just kind of saying he's only really going to play the corners. And he's posted a 9.7 walk percentage and a 29.4 strikeout percentage in the minors in AAA, but has 16 home runs. So he's basically like, People say he's just kind of major league ready, but blocked in the Cubs system. And you know what? I'm fine with this. This is a this is a solid trade because, like I said, Jose Quas was a guy we were probably going to DFA. 4.43 ERA in 46 appearances. He's apparently allowed like 2,000 base runners. 
um, to score the ones that he's inherited anyway. He seriously has like some kind of stupid, um, what's the what's the what's the term for it? Like inherited runners scored percentage, whatever. Point is, when whenever Jose Quas comes into the game with runners on base, it's a disaster. Like every time. So I always saw him as a guy who would just kind of be up and down in the system for a couple of years. He would just kind of show up whenever we needed a new arm in the bullpen. And he doesn't really do a whole lot, but at least he has some kind of arm slot that throws hitters off for a little bit until they, you know, finally figure it out. And then that's when he gets sent back down. He'd be like the, I don't know, like the Brian Flynn of this iteration of the world. Although Brian Flynn threw normally. Actually, this trade, um, and, and it really, <laughs> based on like the arm slot and all that, this actually really reminds me of the Tim Hill trade from 2019 or 2020, that offseason, however long that offseason went on. It was like an entire year. Because um, Tim Hill, funny enough, was also a guy who had a really weird arm slot. And he was better. He was he was a better pitcher, but not like great. And, this, and it's, it's honestly one of my favorite trades, maybe my f- actual favorite trade of the last several years that the Royals made, even though it's a trade that not a lot of people remember probably. So like I said, Tim Hill was a guy, he just, he just popped out of nowhere in this system, uh, showed up in 2018, I think made the opening day roster, pitched out of the bullpen. He was a lefty specialist. And he's also someone who, again, he throws from a weird arm slot and then also had like some kind of cool personal story. Like I think he was a cancer survivor. I remember really liking the guy. And then, yeah, 4.53 4.53 ERA and 70 appearances in 2018. Then 2019, uh, 3.63 ERA and 46 appearances. Then he got traded to the Padres. And from there, the, pod, the, the, the we got Franchi Cordero and Ronald Bolaños. Now, Bolaños became nothing. He's gone. He's now the organization at this point. But Cordero showed a little bit of pop at the major league level and then was one of the like main pieces for trading Andrew Benintendi. So I really like this trade because it kind of set up a much bigger and better trade down the line. And it was for essentially nothing. Like, Tim Hill hasn't really become anything. He's always been a a, a very okay pitcher. That's just about it. He's kind of remained in the the 3.6 ERA range, but not like striking a bunch of guys out or anything. Just just kind of a specialist. He just exists in their bullpen. Hasn't really moved the, the needle for the Padres. So personally, you know, I mean, obviously I wish the best for him, but he's not someone that I really miss on this team. So I think that was a great trade. I think that this Quas trade is very similar to that. This is a guy who's not moving the needle for us. And even if even if he does improve with the Cubs, like if they figure something out with this guy and he's actually like a pretty decent relief pitcher, again, not going to move the, the, the needle for us. And maybe not for them either. And instead, the Royals basically start over with a brand new player who... Has some really interesting stuff. Like I said, good walk rate, 9.7%. Well, that's not like good, good, but it's it, it, it's something. Uh, strikeouts are high, but you can at least, but they're not like stupidly high, 29.4%. So that's okay. It's not, it's not okay. It's, it's pretty bad, but again, not like abhorrent. And then 16 home runs so far this season, which that's interesting. So the Royals, I think just kind of trade a, a non-factor on this roster and get someone someone that they can kind of dream on. And again, he's 24, so young player, just kind of starting in the majors, so we've got lots of control left. And, you know, our outfield isn't really set in stone as it is right now. Like, it does look like Kyle Isbell and Drew Waters are hitting better, but then, 
who else? You know, um, the MJ Melendez and also Nick Prado, if you want to count him as an outfielder, they've been pretty disappointing out in the field. So I do think that this is someone that the Royals uh, did well in targeting. So you know what? I'm going to give this trade an A. I think that this is a, a great trade. It was a really unexpected trade, but it could be, it could really pay dividends down the line. And I don't think that we're really giving up a whole lot right here. It's so funny how 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 often we've complained about like Jose Quas this season, and it's like, oh, he got traded somehow. <laughs> That's cool. Great. Next, Royals traded Ryan Goddamn Yarbrough to the Los Angeles Dodgers for. First baseman Devin Mann and shortstop Darlin Figueroa. Fig Figueroa. Figueroa. We're gonna call him Derlin. Uh, I, I listed him as a shortstop. He's a first baseman. I don't know what the hell I wrote right there. Um, so Devin Mann, he's already 26. He's probably a quadruple A guy. He's like a corner outfield, first base Brent Rooker type of guy, and then Derlin is a 19-year-old who's still playing in their complex, their whatever complex, foreign complex, Dominican Summer League, whatever it is. Uh, He's posted a 16.8 walk percentage and only a 22.1 strikeout percentage in 113 plate appearances. So once again, Royals got a young guy with an approach at the plate. I like it. I like that a lot. Man, probably not going to be it much. Devin Mann, probably not really going to be anything, but you know what? Ryan Yarbrough was another guy that I had basically negative expectations of going into this season. He was just kind of a faceless pitcher that existed in the American leagues. Royals just kind of got him because he didn't cost a whole lot. And they're like, hey, this guy can make starts. Yay. And then he has really turned into one of the coolest stories of this entire season we don't have a whole lot of cool stories this season but this guy literally had his face broken by a pitch and then when he came back from that he not only recovered a little bit quickly from that only taking like two months off the season then he posted like a a two era in his six starts after that so i don't think anybody expected this guy to be anything for the royals but not only did he overcome that kind of adversity but then actually become a tradable piece yeah man let's go ryan yarbrough like i'm actually like so stoked for this dude he he i really have a lot of respect for this guy i've become such a fan of him so i hope he kicks ass with the dodgers i think that's awesome so this is a guy this is a this is a trade where i think any kind of return would have been fine as long as it you know wasn't a 29 year old pitcher with two years of control left um but I'm going to give this an A. I think that the Royals got a really interesting young piece. And then they got, you know, maybe someone who will get hot with the bat for a little bit. Kind of like Brent Rooker did. Uh, maybe we, maybe hopefully this time we won't just like give up on him before he gets hot. And then the Royals at the buzzer. We we all thought that this wasn't happening for a little, for a little while. Because the deadline happened and then it didn't. And then... Nothing came out about this. And then like 30 minutes later, finally, it was reported. Scott Barlow was traded to the San Diego Padres in return for right-handed pitcher Henry Williams and right-handed pitcher Jesus Rios. So Williams is, um, he has not been putting up good numbers. Like if you look at his numbers overall, it's, it's, it's bad. They're all pretty ugly. But he had Tommy John last season. 
2022. So he is someone that is still kind of recovering from that. He's still kind of regaining his velocity, regaining his mechanics and all that. So he is a potential buy low sort of guy. We'll probably have to revisit this in a year or two to see if this, you know, ended up becoming something. But I'm not, I'm not unsatisfied with that, I guess is um, a good way of putting it. And then Rio Rios is a 21-year-old still pitching in the Dominican Summer League, and he's posted a 4.91 ERA with a 6.5 walk rate per nine innings. Um, don't like that. I don't like the age. This is definitely some kind of project that the Royals have. Very interesting one, but they must like something about this guy if you know, this is someone that they decided to to get back for Scott Barlow. Although, let's be real, Scott Barlow has not been good this season. So, it's very likely that this was simply the best that they could really get. And, you know, they they really made this... This was kind of like a buzzer beater type of trade. Like, it, I mean, obviously it happened before the deadline. But the fact that it wasn't reported until like 30 minutes later means that this probably really did go down to the wire. And the Royals waited until the last second to just get the best possible return. So maybe this was just as good as it could get. Scott Barlow should have been traded two years ago. Nothing this front office can do about it. Um, he should have been traded now because Carlos Hernandez needs to be the closer for this team. I think that's, you know, just the best way of correcting this mistake moving forward. So I'll give this a a B for now. Like it's just kind of an acceptable trade. I don't they I don't think it's a banger right now. Maybe it could be later on if if Williams really recovers well and if they find something with Rios that they that, you know, turns into something. Um it just kind of is what it is with Scott Barlow. I will miss him though. I will miss that guy, but I'm glad he's going to the Padres because now the Padres have the sexiest late inning bullpen ever made. They've got Scott Barlow and Josh Hader. I'm so glad that there's some team out there collecting guys with long hair. That's what I care about the most. So shout out to them. I love the, I've always loved the Padres. I have a soft spot for the Padres. Go Padres. Um, and yeah, there were some other trades that didn't happen that seemed like they could have happened. Maybe some people were expecting them. Actually, no, before we get into that, actually, sorry, wrote it, wrote something else down. I just wrote it on a different line for some reason because I'm stupid. Um, Tucker Davidson was also acquired at the deadline. He was simply a cash considerations kind of guy. So Royals have been making like 60 billion cash considerations trades this season. They finally used that cash to trade for someone else. So they got this guy named Tucker Davidson from the Los Angeles Angels. He's a 27-year-old left-handed pitcher who used to make some starts. I think he's been pitching exclusively exclusively out of the bullpen this season. I think he came from some other organizations. I didn't really... I don't even have the baseball reference tab open anymore. Uh, so I'll just, you know, continue. Um, again, 27-year-old left lefty with a 6.54 ERA in 31 innings pitched. Um... But here's here's something that's really interesting. Only 0.6 home runs per nine, 3.1 walks per nine, which is eh, so it could be could be better, but it's not terrible. 8.8 strikeouts per nine, okay, pretty decent. 12.5 hits per nine, that is a ton. His career hits per nine is 9.9. Opponents are hitting opponents versus him have a 4.16 BABIP. 
They have a 416 batting average on balls in play. That is woefully unlucky. BABIP I consider to be kind of like a law of averages. It should be around 300. It's above 400 for this guy. This is like flipping 10 coins and then they all land on tails when you wanted heads. That's, I mean, probably not that extreme, but still, it's some kind of baffling unluckiness right there. I don't know what's going to happen when that BABIP inevitably regresses because it will regress, but I I kind of like this. I like that they got some guy who, you know, kind of on the surface doesn't have great numbers, but there might be something kind of going on under under the hood that can be worked on. There's, again, that super crazy unlucky BABIP that's really weighing this guy down. That's something you can kind of count on getting better, and hopefully there's something there when he does get better. I like this pickup by the Royals. This is a really, really good pickup, and I think it's someone that, you know, they can take a little chance on. This guy could be nothing. He could end up being actually bad. But if so, well, Royals literally gave up nothing for him. So no big deal. So that's solid. I'm not going to rate this trade because it's not it's not really a trade per se. Uh, I'm not really going to count it. But it is still something worth mentioning, especially because he is on the Major League roster right now. So we are going to see him. He did not pitch in that Mets um, series, but I'm sure we're going to see him in the Phillies series. So now we talk about the trades that didn't happen. Edward Olivares was not traded. I think that's a little unfortunate. Um, I really wanted Edward Olivares to be traded. I think we really need this roster spot. I am just not really a fan of watching Edward Olivares play left field. He can hit decently. And it's, it's weird to me that he wasn't traded because the Yankees were talking about their deadline. Everyone's, you know, Yankees fans are mad that they didn't, you know, fix all their issues at the deadline like usual. And Brian Cashman, their GM, was, was he was specifically asked why he didn't improve in left field. And he said, well, we're really restricted by this budget right now, and there just weren't any options that we saw, you know, improving us. Um, yeah, specifically the quote was, um, yeah, I, this guy, Chris Kirshner, who uh, covers the Yankees for the athletic, he asked Brian Cashman about, um, you know, why didn't they go into uh, the season with a with a better left fielder? And Brian Cashman said, it's been one of the things that we've been trying to upgrade. Getting your hands on it is the more challenging aspect of it. And then he, then he said that they were constrained by a budget, so they relied on what they had. And I'm just like, Edward Olivares, bro, he hits. He's, you know, he, he he sucks out in the field, but in Yankee Stadium, that's not going to matter as much as it does, you know, in Kaufman. And he's also not going to blow the budget. Like, he's still making league minimum, I think, or maybe slightly above it. I think he's probably, like, arbitration eligible at this point, right? Something. He's probably, probably making, like, $1 million this season. It's no, it's nothing. Although it's it's hilarious hearing the Yankees talking about having a budget. Oh yes, the the, the poverty franchise, New York Yankees. But in anyway, I, I'm just kind of wondering, like, did did the Royals call the Yankees about Edward Olivares? Because I feel like that would have been a good fit for him, but didn't happen. Oh well. Um, D- um, Matt Duffy wasn't traded. He's someone that we've been, you know, hoping that we could trade, but I'm just going to say that, um, Matt Duffy probably just didn't have a market. I doubt any team out there is looking at Matt Duffy and thinking, oh, yes, this is the guy we really need for that playoff push, for that World Series push. He is the difference maker. 
uh, for this roster. So I will just give the Royals the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah, probably wasn't going to get any. I mean, if they could get anything for, for Matt Duffy, that would be awesome. But I doubt any team would be offering anything for him. Carlos Hernandez was not traded. And this is kind of the big one, but I talked about this last uh, last episode on Monday. I think Carlos Hernandez can afford to stay on this roster, to make him the actual closer now, get him some saves, get it, just get him some reps in this role, and I think that's only going to help him moving forward. He still has a ton of control left, so I don't think it's that big of a deal for the Royals to wait a single year on this. I see lots of people like freaking out, like, oh, this is going to be like, Scott Barlow all over again. It's going to be Joaquin Soria all over again. But those guys, they've had their downfalls way later into their career. You know, Scott Barlow is a free agent after next season. Joaquin Soria had Tommy John surgery in his last um, season of control. This guy, this guy's not going to be, Carlos Hernandez isn't a free agent for like five years. So I think it's fine. I think we're good. I'm willing to take the risk to have him accrue value. We'll revisit this in a year. He probably should be traded next deadline, though. I will say that. So we'll we'll hold on to this. Um, Taylor Clark was not traded. I don't think that surprised me because Taylor Clark sucks now. So might as well just leave that as it is. And then Brady Singer wasn't traded. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. No strong feelings. Singer has not had a very good season, but he has been riding a pretty good stretch of the season where he is pitching a lot better. Maybe in the offseason, he'll be more valuable. He's still got a couple of years of control left. I do think he'll have to be traded at some point just to, you know, help this rebuild. Um, but just maybe not right now. I think it's fine. And um, Salvi. This is a really interesting one. Salvi was almost traded. Almost which is actually a big deal because usually the, 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 the news with Salvi is that he is absolutely in no way, shape, or form getting traded. But when I say that he was almost traded, it basically means like they were talking about this and came close to an actual deal for Salvi. Um, there was a, a, where was it? Yeah, Jason Stark said that the the Marlins and Royals were talking about a deal to send Salvi to Miami. Um, it says it, He even said that Perez was open to a deal in Miami, but they just could not agree on the return. It seems like there might have been a disagreement on how much money the Royals would be sending. It also seems like maybe the, the prospect return that the Royals wanted was spent or at least partially spent on other deals that, Mar- that Miami made throughout the day. So... It does seem like this was a thing that was actually happening and just other circumstances got in the way. But it really seems like I'm I'm actually putting it at like a 60-40 chance that Salvi gets traded this offseason because it really seems like the Marlins are serious about this. And also the White Sox are interested. And that's really interesting because the White Sox don't have a catcher. They've got Yasmani Grandal who is a free agent at the end of the season, and he sucks, and like the fan base hates him, they don't have anyone in their farm system ready to replace this guy. Like They just don't seem to like growing catchers, apparently. Um, and they've said that they are not rebuilding. They are not committing to like a, a deep, full rebuild. They traded a couple of guys. like They traded Giolito, but he's a free agent after this season anyway. They refused to give up Dylan Cease. They were saying, like, we are not trading this guy. We are not going to a deep rebuild this season sucks but we're just going to try again next season so 
They get Salvi, who's still under contract for two years. It kind of fits with whatever remaining timeline the White Sox think they have. And then there's also the Pedro Cafol connection, which is important for Salvi. So that's two teams right there that are very much interested in acquiring Salvador Perez. I did not think that this was going to happen like ever, but now all of a sudden it's like, oh, we might have to go to the last game of the season, like really pack the stadium and like say goodbye because like this seems like it's going to happen. I said 60-40, and I'm also saying, oh, yeah, like 100% it's happening. But, it, I mean, again, the fact that we went from literally he is not getting traded ever, stop asking, to, oh, actually, there was like kind of a deal in place and Salvi agreed to it. <laughs> it's like, okay, that is a very rapid and um and drastic development. So that is going to be something we'll revisit later. I do have some opinions on that. I will hold on to them. I will talk about this some other time. I'll just I'll just give a TLDR. I don't want Salvi to be traded, but that's like a big can of worms and that's like that's an that's an entire other podcast that can happen later on. He didn't get traded and he and he himself was saying like he himself said it's a business and I understand it. Um but I'm also glad to be in Casey. So, he's he's open to it. But he would still prefer to be here. And he's been enjoying himself over the last few days. So that's that's good. So putting the trade deadline all together, things that the, the things that they did do, the things that they didn't do, I would give this deadline a and, and again, including the Nicky Lopez trade, including the Chapman trade, um, I'd give it a C plus, I think. I think I would give it a C plus, maybe B minus. I think it's really weighed down by the Nicky Lopez trade. That just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But at least the Jose Quas trade helped equalize that a little bit. The early returns on Cole Reagans, or rather the World of Chapman trade, have been looking good so far. But aside from that, they haven't had like any like true slam dunk banger trades where you know we look at the prospect return and we're like, oh wow, JJ Masterclass really fleeced that other team. I think he just more or less met expectations and maybe was, you know, but but also expectations weren't very high. Like the Scott Barlow trade was kind of fine, but just that's it. It's just a trade that kind of had to happen. The Ryan Yarbrough trade was just all right, just kind of had to happen. So, yeah, I think that's about a, a, all I would give it a C plus or so. Just nothing that was suit that nothing that was really overwhelming. I think it would have been a lot better if we at least got a uh, Edward Olivares trade. That's the one that I'm kind of bummed they didn't do. But it, other than that, they kind of did whatever they needed to. Probably got whatever returns they could. I'm just a little bit, you know, disappointed with that Nicky Lopez trade. But that's about it. Um again though, we'll have to see how the trade deadline actually was. In a couple of years, whenever these guys show up or don't. All right. Um. Next, we're going to talk about this three-game series that just happened against the New York Mets. But before we do that, there's something that I've got to add to the show. And we're back. Thank you very much for your patience. So, uh, I'll try to make this quick, even though a lot of great stuff happened uh, on this <laughs> over the week. Uh, the Royals played a three-game series against the New York Mets, and they played just three baller games. The only one that was remotely close was on Monday. Royals won this game 7-6 to six in extra innings. So, uh, you know, tell me if you've heard this before. The Royals 
walking off the Mets and extras. Although it wasn't really a walk-off, it was a balk-off. But before we get into that, um, starting pitching was pretty good. It was that Granky versus, uh, who was it? I don't remember. Who cares? Jose Quintana, I think it was. And it was the bullpens who had a mid-off. It was a one-to-one game going into the seventh. Dylan Coleman only pitched two outs, and he gave up two earned runs on two hits and one walk. No strikeouts. Uh, he only threw three fastballs, and they only averaged around 95 or so. 96.1, 95.3, were the velos on all three of those pitches. So uh, I've, I've commented before that Dylan Coleman, he's back on the Major League roster, but he's not throwing like he was last season. Velocity was the big thing with this guy, and he doesn't really have that anymore. Kind of concerning. But at least it didn't turn into a game loss because the Royals offense was pretty lively and uh, just did some really cool stuff in this game. Dyron Blanco uh, kind of helped control this game, just kind of messed with the Mets. He forced an error by stealing third, and then the run or the throw to third got away, so he ended up scoring on that. Um, and then later on in the game, he would reach on a throwing error from third base, and that's kind of like the thing with Dyron Blanco. Like he's probably not going to be like a great hitter, or a great player, but he is so fast that he will just simply pressure teams into over defending like that or just making mistakes like that he'll pressure them into rushing and that leads to mistakes like that kind of like the good old days right remember the royals playing the mets and then the mets made a lot of mistakes what fun and uh, speaking of classic royals michael garcia hit an rbi single through the infield that's just a that's just a classic royal single right there just just hit it through them <laughs> hit a ball and then make them not defend against it what a what a concept freddie Fermin had a sacrifice fly just being a, another productive hitter in the lineup just having another productive day love to see it and samad taylor had a two hit game and a two stolen base game samad taylor really came to play he has not been very good so far this season in the very brief time we've seen him, but he definitely um, he definitely wants to make a better impression, so shout out to him for that. And then the game went into extras. I think Taylor Clark pitched, so we were already down by two by the time we got to bat once again. Awesome. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was an Alvarez home run. It was actually Carlos Hernandez who, who gave that up. Yeah, he gave up a two-run home run to um, Francisco Alvarez. Whoops. Oh, well. Um, so we're down two. But then, with the runner on, with the ghost runner on second, Bobby leads off, hits an RBI double in the gap. Love to see it right there. Then MJ singles him in into the gap. Just had a nice, easy swing that I really like. He looked comfortable. He didn't try to, to too much. Um, it was a good pitch to hit, so he did it. He hit it. Great. Can't complain. Then, like I said earlier, Dyron Blanco, he reached on a throwing error from third base, and then... Drew Waters walked on four pitches. Whoever was pitching was just scared, pitching out of his out of his boots or whatever whatever the saying is. And then a new pitcher came in and then balked <laughs> immediately. Didn't even throw a pitch. He like took a step with his uh with his left foot, and then they and then the catcher tried to like just call a mound meeting to and then say, oh, Pitchcom is having an issue. But one of the umpires was like, nope, he balked, and he did. It was a balk. So that scored the game <laughs> or that scored the game that won the game. Walk off balk at balk off. Love to see it. Um, that's just 
classic Mets right there. Mets have the Mets and their three hundred fifty million dollar payroll have to be really funny, no matter what. So love that. That turns into the fourth win in a row for the Kansas City Royals. Let's freaking go. Tuesday, Royals won four to nothing. Uh, we saw Kodai Senga and his uh his little his cool little ghost fork. I don't even really know what that means, but that's what they call it. He has a pitch called a ghost fork. All right, I love it. And uh, Royals apparently really saw him well. Five point two innings pitched, eleven hits. Uh, I think he's lucky to only have three runs charged to him. Two walks, six strikeouts. Uh, my favorite hit of this was Michael Massey. Michael Massey hit an hit a double into the corner, basically. It would have been a home run in 25 parks. Um, but he just hit this pitch that went... He hit, he hit this cutter that went down and in. And it just looked like he saw it perfectly. Like, he just identified this pitch so easily. Got such a great swing on it and just crushed it. It was just a, a fantastic hit from Michael Massey. Love this guy. Love what he's doing. Bobby Witt Jr. had another... RBI hit, and he also stole his 30th base in the game. I think he's just he's just a home run away. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he's just a home run away from having another 20-30 season, which apparently has never been done in a player's first two seasons ever. Like, if Bobby reaches 20-30, he will be the first player in MLB history to ever do that in his first two seasons. That's crazy. That. It seems like a really weird record that should have happened at some point, but apparently not. Drew Waters, saying his name for the second time this podcast, hit a solo home run. So he 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 he's continuing to hit really well, which is awesome. And he had like a one or two great outfield assists as well. He's got, I want to say, he, I said earlier he had like a super soaker in right field, but super soakers are like, fun <laughs> this guy's got like an rpg <laughs> this guy's got like a grenade launcher just blows your house down just, just got a great arm out there i've been pleasantly surprised by him in center field this season but i'm really liking him in right field like i think that he should really just stay there and hopefully kyle isbell will hit hit just a little bit better and be able to you know stick center field to just be able to be able to stick the lineup in general hit well enough that he can be a regular bat in the lineup and and uh, stay in center because we know that he's just a great defender out there. But yeah, shout out to Drew Waters for that. And then Salvi also hit a double that was almost a home run. It would be a home run in 18 parks. They didn't score a run or anything. I don't think it this turned into anything, but it was still pretty cool that he did that. But that all being said, the story of the game was Cole Reagans. He pitched six scoreless innings. Against the Mets, seven hits, one walk, eight strikeouts. Just a freaking banger outing from this dude on 94 pitches as well. And apparently the big difference with this guy, what what he really did this time around that was different from any other time before, is that he added a slider to his rep. Because this guy, the, 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 the big thing about him is that he had a cutter. It wasn't a very good pitch. And he was having trouble getting lefties out. So he added a, a, a slider as a lefty option. The great Annie Rogers of MLB.com did some reporting on this. And he himself, Reagan, said that the slider comes in handy. It has more movement. It's a v, it's a big velo difference and a movement difference from the fastball. And the, the cutter that he already has, it's not very effective because it's just a 
subtle, it's a small change in velo and movement, and hitters are able to adjust against it very well. And one thing I really like about this uh, report that Rogers put out is that he apparently got a scouting report from the hitting coach in AAA. He was scouted as if hitters were going to, like, prepare against him. Like, 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 what do hitters see against me? So one thing that he learned from that is that he never throws two sliders in a row. Like there's, or maybe it was something, some other pitch, but there was like something that he didn't ever do twice in a row. So he started doing that. So he, it, it enabled him and encouraged him to change his pitch mix a little bit more. I just love that little, that, that little quote, that little piece of the article, because I think it really says that this guy is just, either he's at, he, he, he has some kind of intelligence. I don't know if, you know, he's super smart, but if nothing else, it shows that he's, really open to coaching that he's really open to learning he's open to trying new things because he actually like went into the royals organization going like hey i have this pitch that i'm just kind of working on it's not really like good but i'm trying it like it's it's a it's a slider he's like i know i need this i just can't get it right so that's something that the royals really worked on and we saw for ourselves how good it can be in game so if the Royals unlocked something with Cole Reagans and they can make this guy like an actual MLB starter, then, like I said, that Chapman trade is so free. So I am actually kind of stoked to be watching Cole Reagans moving forward. I'm really looking forward to um, his next start, which will not be in this series. It will be the one after. I believe it'll be on Monday. And also, let's shout out Angel Zerpa in this game. Two scoreless innings. Didn't really do anything. He only gave up one hit. But that was it. No walks, no strikeouts. The strikeouts are a little... We hope that he can strike out some guys. But still, he didn't give up any runs. Didn't even give up, give up any. Well, he, he did give up a hit. But yeah, pretty pretty good. Pretty good for his season debut. That lowers his career ERA to 1.00. Good job on health there, Bob. And then on Sunday, Royals won 9-2. This... This was the game where the Royals are just going to be like, all right, we're going to just harass another team for a change. We are going to bully someone else this time. We have been on the receiving end of so many terrible, agonizing, painful games. We're going to give it to someone else this time. So Brady Singer, first of all, happy birthday. It's Brady Singer's birthday today. He pitched eight scoreless innings. On Thursday, three hits, no walks, four strikeouts. Oh, my God, dude. Dude. Yes. Good job, Brady Singer. Love to see it. 3.5 ERA in his last 12 starts. That is what he is up to. I don't know what the FIP is because Baseball Reference just did not have this information. Like, Baseball Reference hasn't updated from yesterday still. It's it's already 7 a.m. today. Um, and they still, like, if you go to the scores, it still scores from Wednesday. It's like, all right, I thought the website updated at, like, 4 a.m., but whatever. So I don't know what his FIP is, but it was 3.33 going into that game. So it's probably a lot lower now because he didn't get hit or anything. He didn't give up, he didn't even give up a walk. So Brady Singer is just balling right now. But you know who isn't balling? Jonathan Heasley. This is supposed to be a positive episode, but I was actually legit mad that this guy gave up a two-run home run to, to Francisco Lindor because I'm like, man, 
I was I was so I, I I literally wrote out the Twitter post when we were gonna win. I was gonna I was writing out my hey 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 hey, and one of the things I was gonna include was two consecutive shutouts. I'm like, man, this Royals team just shut out another team twice in a row. That's awesome. And then it didn't happen. In the ninth inning, it was blown. And I hate that. And I shouldn't be mad about a about this game, but that did upset me just a little bit. So screw you, Jay Heasy. What did we ever do to you? Um, he's probably not going to last very much long longer for uh, this team. Kind of mean when I put it that way, but look, it's a business. No hard feelings. So anyway, uh, how about the Royals' offense in this game? Samad Taylor just, again, bullied this team. Samad Taylor just harassed the Mets. He gets on an, he gets on with an infield hit, then he steals second, and then advances to third on a pass ball, which allows Michael Garcia to hit him in with a sacrifice fly. I have a, 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 a premonition. I'm going to manifest this, Okay. Michael Garcia is going to have a very long and productive career. He's going to pit, he's going to play in the majors for like 18 years. And he is eventually going to be the MLB all-time leader in sacrifice flies. That's a very weird prediction, but look, the record is only 128. It's not a crazy high number. It it's one of those records that feels very beatable. And it was Eddie Murray who did that, by the way. Albert Pujols, interestingly enough, had 123, so he almost broke it. And you know, Michael Garcia is just that guy who seems like he doesn't really care if he gets a hit, just as long as he can do something, if he can have some kind of productive day. It seems like he's really getting a lot of sacrifice flies when he's up. So I'm just going to make that very completely random... <laughs> prediction he already has seven he's only he's leading the team in sacrifice fly by a significant margin second place is four with bobby wood jr he's played 75 games and he has seven sacrifice flies wait a minute he has eight because this actually doesn't account for yesterday's game because <laughs> baseball reference hasn't updated yet or does it maybe maybe it actually has yeah no it still says that the royals are 34 and 75 so it doesn't account for yesterday's game so yeah michael garcia Enjoy. He's going to be the MLB all-time sacrifice fly leader. What a, what a coveted record, right? Um, but anyway, we're not even done talking about Samad Taylor. That was a tangent because Samad Taylor bullied the the Mets some more. He outran a double play. He got on base. He got on base with a. It was it was going to be a fielder's choice, but Dyron Blanco was the runner uh, going into second, and then he was ruled safe. He was he he was ruled out. He was he was out at first. Then the Royals challenged the play, even though they scored a run to put the score at to put the game at eight to nothing. The Royals decided to challenge this play because they're like, you know what, <laughs> you know what, we're gonna make another team suffer. We are we have this right. This is such a dick move, but we are going to do it because we deserve to be the ones doing stuff like this for a change. We have we have suffered so much. We're going to enjoy this. We're going to revel in it. We're going to bully the Mets. So, Dyron Blanco was actually safe. The call was overturned. So, it was a double play that turned uh, zero outs thanks to Dyron and Samad just being the fastest boys. And then Bobby Wood Jr. had himself another game. He hit his 19th home run in this. And he had at least two great plays defensively. He had this cool little spinny play. And then had an absolutely gorgeous 
sexy, erotic double play with Michael Massey. Just it's just it's just one of those super clean infield plays with a double play. It's just like it's just one of those plays that looks really really cool. You know, it looks like guys who have been playing for ten years together m- making that sort of play. It was so smooth, so athletic, and it's like that's this is the. This is the team that was on pace for like 120 losses for a good part of the season. And they're just looking so good. Like the 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 mood of this team is so noticeably different than it was just a week ago or so. Like these guys look like they are legit having fun playing baseball for a change. Like we've seen some moments where things get a little bit better. But man, like all throughout this game, everybody was just all smiles. Everybody just was just having a having a good day. Unless they played for the Mets. I don't think anybody on that roster had a good day. <laughs> I don't think it's ever a good time for the Mets <laughs> when they're in Kansas City. Um for <laughs> I'll just move on. Drew Waters, by the way, also had another game. He had a three run blast. Shout out to Drew Waters, dude. The better this guy gets, I think the better the Royals get. So really excited to see him on this little uh, surge that that he's had. Hopefully he can keep this up. Hopefully he can keep the strikeouts down and just continue playing good defense at the corners. So all in all, that puts the Royals at a six-game winning streak. They scored 40 runs over these six games. And Bobby Wood Jr., on this homestand. But these were all, all home games, by the way. They had a 6-0 homestand. Shout out to them. If you went to a Royals game over the last week, you saw something pretty cool. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., over this time, in these six games, has hit 556 with two home runs, six extra base hits, three stolen bases, with 13 RBIs, and a 1608 OPS. That's Joel Goldberg who posted that. On social medias. Thanks, Joel. Shout out to you. Love ya. And that puts the record at 35 and 75. Now, just remember, folks, I said that the winner of the American League Central Division would have an 87 and 75 record. I am I'm just saying that it's still on the table. <laughs> <sighs> like I, you know, like I said earlier, this is probably gonna, you know, get bad real quick once again. But man, has this week been been nice? It's been real nice, even despite the fact that I, I absolutely hated the the Nicky Lopez trade, and I literally said that we need to fire JJ Piccolo. Everything other than that has been great this week. So shout out to the Royals. Hopefully they can at least keep this up. Hopefully they can have some kind of decent second half. You know, kind of like in 2018 where, you know, it was a terrible season, but second half of it wasn't so bad. And maybe for a change, that'll carry over into the next season. Please. Can we win like, I don't know, 70 games next next time for a change? That'd be cool. Anyway, uh, so we're going to go on the road, play in Philadelphia against the Phillies for a three-game series. The Phillies are 58-50 and 50 right now. They are second in the National League East. And they've been, they've had an interesting season. They started off kind of slow, but they've been 33-20 and 20 since June 1st. I don't know how good that is relative to all of baseball, but I'm going to at least assume it's, it's, it's pretty decent. 
Um, but here's something that's really interesting about them. I think that everybody thinks of the Phillies as a like a strong offensive team because they you know just have so many power bats in their lineup. They have a team weighted runs created plus of 97. That's it. 97. They're actually below average. They're 15th in slugging, as a matter of fact, and only 21st in home runs. Yeah, they're 11th in batting average, but they are 4th in BABIP, which is not a particularly great sign. They're 7th in strikeouts, uh, which is to say that they have the second highest strikeout percentage. The Royals, meanwhile, are ninth. <laughs> um, and here's something else that's really interesting. They are 1st in pitching war, according to Fangraphs. I don't know exactly where this comes from, because they're 11th in ERA, they're 6th in FIP, they have a good strikeout-to-walk ratio, but it's not like the best. Like, there's nothing about this pitching staff that is like, oh yeah, this is a really good thing about them. Most of it's just pretty good, which is good enough. I just think it's interesting that they're first in pitching war. Don't know how Fangraphs calculates that. Not going to think about it too much. Um, and then I wrote a note about their lineup below the pitching thing because I'm a freaking idiot. Um, big, big interesting thing about their lineup is that Trey Turner, uh, who was their big free agent signing last uh, that last winter, not having a good season. 77 weighted runs created plus. It's actually pretty terrible, as a matter of fact, which is weird. This guy's like always been so consistently great, and now he's like awful. Could just be, you know, adjusting to a new environment. That happens. And JT, JT Real Muto isn't having a great season either. He's always been relied upon as like the best offensive catcher in baseball. Maybe, but he only has a 99 weighted runs created plus. It's been a uh, Stott, Harper, and Castellanos, as well as Brandon Marsh, who have been really kind of carrying the team offensively. But they all have like stupidly high BABIPs, so there's some regression due for at least some of those guys. But I don't know. That's not my issue. Maybe I don't have to. Maybe I shouldn't think about it too hard. Instead, let's think about the guys that we'll actually see on the pitching mound. So on Friday, tonight, I'm excited for this one. We're going to see Aaron Nola, one of my favorite pitchers in general. Just always someone who's been really solid, but not this season. He's a 30-year-old right-handed pitcher. He's going to be a free agent this offseason, by the way. He's someone that I've been saying Royals should really go after, target this guy, sign him in free agency, and then he's going to win a Cy Young because he's just a, a super ground ball pitcher, doesn't give up home runs. Um, but again, maybe not so much this season. Typically, no, before we get into that, 4.43 ERA and 138 innings pitched. Typically, he has a strikeouts per nine above 10 and a walks per nine below two and around a 1.3 home runs per nine. This season, it's a 9.1 strikeouts per nine, 2.2 walks per nine, and 1.6 home runs per nine. That is leading to a career-high fielding independent pitching, which is 4.26. But his expected numbers are better. Expected ERA is 3.77. Expected FIP is 3.82. That's still a career high for him, but it's still, you know, better. I just think it's very interesting. He throws a curveball, four-seam sinker, change-up cutter. Um, the cutter is relatively new, and maybe it's because the change-up has just gotten, like, bad. It is severely degraded over the last couple of years. I'm just very interested in seeing how this guy is going to pitch against us. There's nothing like, like that's, like, super bad about this guy, but it's just, it's just a lot less good than it usually should be. Still think the Royals should go after him in free agency, though, if they can. 
I like to dream that they can. Royals are going to send out their actual free agent starter, Jordan Lyles, their prized acquisition over this last offseason. 32-year-old right-handed pitcher with a 6.15 ERA and 112.2 innings pitched. But in his last nine starts, he has a 4.76 ERA with a 4.13 FIP. So that's much better. Although his last two starts combined, uh, he only went 10 innings. Eight earned runs versus New York and Minnesota, but he at least won the game versus Minnesota. So his record's now two and twelve, tied uh, with Kyle Freeland for most losses. I say that positively because that's an improvement. He's only tied for most losses in MLB, as opposed to winning that by like several games, which uh, I think he was for most of the season. So he's getting better. He's positively regressing. We love to see it. Uh, will be very interesting to see how he pitches against this lineup that should be hitting for a lot of power, but isn't. Um, and he is a guy who gives up a lot of home runs. We'll see. This is a very interesting matchup. I have no idea where this one's going. And also, the Royals are, like, super red hot, so that's also something to consider. Saturday, tomorrow, August 5th, the Phillies are going to send out a guy named Christopher Sanchez, who I have never heard of before. But he is a 26-year-old left-handed pitcher with a 2.66 ERA. Oh, in 47.1 innings pitched. He is a Rays international signing from 2013 and was then traded in 2019 for Curtis Mead, who is a top 50 prospect in baseball right now. <laughs> Phillies, you guys freaking... Don't you know that if you that if the Rays call asking for someone, just hang up the phone and then go get your scouts and have everyone look at him to figure out what it is that they see? Anyway, for what it's worth, Sanchez, you know, he's pitching well, so I guess maybe it's not a, too big of a deal. One and a half walks per nine versus seven and 7.8 strikeouts per nine. That's a 5.13 strikeout to walk ratio. Pretty good. 4.16 FIP, also pretty good. And he just throws three pitches. Sinker, slider, changeup. That's it. Uh, he used to have a curveball. At least as a prospect, seemed to have ditched it at some point when he got to the majors. The sinker averages 91.7, others in the low 80s. But man, do these pitches move. The changeup in particular drops 43 inches, which is 31% better than average. And then it breaks horizontally 17.3 inches so i have no idea what you're supposed to do as a hitter against that have fun i guess and interesting to note that he, he but blah, stumbled on that interesting to note that he has a 3.86 expected era over a full point worse than his actual era so maybe he's just a guy that has to be figured out that could be it he's still a pretty new pitcher to the league maybe he hasn't really been seen all that well Let's see if the Royals can do something against him. Why not? The Royals themselves are going to send out Alec Marsh, 25-year-old right-handed pitcher with a 6.75 ERA in 24 innings pitched. 28 strikeouts, which is pretty good, but 9 home runs. That is a freaking ton of home runs in a very few amount of innings. His last start was 2.2 innings pitched, 4 earned runs, but that was on July 26th. Interestingly enough, he actually threw an inning of relief on August 1st against the Mets. Didn't give up a run there. So we'll see if that uh, kind of helps him out 
gets him prepared for his next start, having that inning out of the bullpen. Because the rotation, it isn't entirely set in stone, but I do think we have four guys right now. Granke, Lyles, Singer, Reagans. That fifth spot is open. And I think it's for, I think it's, you know, Marsh is like the front runner for it. But remember, Zerpa's back. Taylor Hearn was just traded. I'm sure they're going to try him. Anthony Veneziano is pitching decently in AAA. He could come up and make some and make some starts for the rest of the season. So he does have some competition. He's going to have to get this figured out sooner or later. And then on Sunday, Phillies are going to send out Taiwan Walker, a guy that they did acquire in the offseason. Another big signing that they made this last offseason. Signed a four-year deal for $72 million. He's a 30-year-old right-handed pitcher with a 3.9 career ERA and a 1.23 whip. This season, he's got a 3.99 ERA and a 1.27 whip in 119.2 innings. Pretty good. He has a slight uptick in walks, 3.6 versus 2.6 last year and 2.9 in his career, but that's about it. Nothing else out of the ordinary. He throws a splitter, sinker, four-seam cutter, curveball, and sweeper. The four-seam in particular, this is interesting, the four-seam is getting crushed. Opponents have a 667 slugging percentage against the four-seamer. Even expected slugging is 5.89. So that's a thing that he throws a lot to lefties. We've got some lefty power in this lineup. We've got a lot of lefties. So we'll see how he does against uh, our lefty-heavy lineup. But the interesting thing is that he kind of equalizes this with the splitter. He also throws the splitter to the lefties a lot, and that just gets driven into the ground. Opponents don't really have much to do against it. So that'll be a very interesting test for these guys. Meanwhile, the Royals are going to send out 92-year-old Zach Greinke, right-handed pitcher with 5.32 ERA in 106.2 in innings pitch. His last start was five innings, one earned run. Pretty good, but he usually pitches way better at home than on the road. He's going to be pitching on the road. So we'll just have to see how this one goes. Will be a very interesting series against the Royals. One that, you know, with the way they've been playing lately, hopefully can be competitive. But we'll just have to see. We've been disappointed before, but we've also been surprised before. Very pleasantly. But whatever happens, we'll talk about it when we get there. Until then, we're going to head out. I'll see you guys later. But you can keep up with whatever I'm still doing and talking about when it comes to the Royals in real time at Twitter at Royal Deluxe Podcast. Oh, sorry, no, it's actually just Royal Deluxe Pod. Or some other stuff that I'm doing in my life can be posted on at the MF in KC. And further inquiries can be sent to Royal Deluxe Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would appreciate it if you rated it. Or and reviewed it on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. Make sure you're subscribed and all that good stuff. But if you don't, hey, no hard feelings. I love you all the same. Thank you very much for making the Royal Deluxe Podcast a part of your day. And I hope you're having a good one. I hope you have a good weekend. And I'll see you on Monday. Until then, I've been Lux. And go Royals!